0: mother went to uh, awaken her son for church one morning. When she knocked on his door, he says, I'm not going. So why not? Well, I'll give you two reasons, Mom. He said, first, some of those people down there are not very friendly. Secondly, I think it's obvious that some of them don't like me. She said, well, I'll give you two reasons you are going to church. First of all, you're 47 years old. (laughs) Secondly, you're the pastor of the church and you need to go. A lot of people have problems with church today, even pastors sometimes. A lot of people believe in God, but they have problems with the church of God, the church of Christ. To be sure, some of them just have problems going. You know, it's like, I don't have time, I don't have inclination for that, it's not that the church is so bad, it's okay when I go, I, I just can't fit that in my schedule. Or maybe I work six days a week, seven is the day that I sleep in. Only time, I can maybe catch up a little bit. Church is okay, but I'm not going to go. So there's one reason, but there are many others that are really difficult, legitimate reasons. Hard pill for us to swallow as Christians sometimes. What about the rest of the people who do have specific problems? What problems do they have? Well, I have made a list, and it's a huge list. I'm sorry to say it's a huge list. I've discovered there's a lot of things people have problems with. They have problems with our critical attitude, you know, this judgmental thing, you know, that we do because we want to correct them. We want to show them where they're messing up. Or maybe it's just hypocrisy. You know, you say one thing, but I see you doing something else. It just doesn't add up. I know it's fake. Or maybe it's our legalism, our legalistic attitude that some Christians live by. And so they're always putting down something, preaching against something. And the fact, maybe in... in, uh, others' opinion that churches only talk about money. So I hate that. They're always hitting my pocketbook, always wanting to do that. And maybe they only went twice a year, both days that they went, or the day that they talked about tithing and offerings. And and this is this opinion. Maybe it's our intolerance. Intolerance of other religious viewpoints, or maybe uh, you know how somebody uh, has this ideology, philosophy they live by, and no, 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 that's not right. There's one way. And so we're very forceful about that. Or maybe... How some people are deeply offended by a Christian. You know, a Christian maybe inadvertently, maybe accidentally offended them and never offered any apology. And so this grudge, this resentment is carried for life. Some people call out the church for being homophobic or maybe racist. And they've heard something, they've heard somebody denounce some lifestyle or, or maybe even say something that, that appears very negative about another race or ethnic group. And that decided that, that, that all Christians are that way. Some people uh, question the church's apparent apathy towards the poor or maybe some other victimized uh, segment of our society and, and they see, well, how can they neglect that? Here they got all this wealth and they're doing nothing about that. And some people just say the church is out of touch. Church is irrelevant. You know, It has nothing to say to my life. It doesn't know about what I face. It doesn't care about that. They're just over in some ivory tower somewhere doing their own thing and they don't even know what's going on in the world. So that's quite a list, isn't it? Quite a list, and it? Trying to answer that. I'm not sure we even can. I'm not sure that maybe we'll have the opportunity. Maybe they won't even hear us trying to answer any of these things anymore. And do people have a legitimate beef with the church? You bet they do. Some of these things happen. And uh, because of that, The rest of us have to bear the brunt of that. We have to deal with this reputation church-wide that maybe we don't deserve, but we still have to do something about that reputation. As I was preparing this message, I realized we don't have time to discuss all of these things. No way. And uh, so I thought, well, is there some kind of a common denominator in all of this? So what do you think the common denominator is in all of this? Well, first of all, I said, It's people. (laughs) If we took all the people out of the church, we wouldn't have any of those problems. But that's not the answer, because we are the church, as Tracy said very eloquently in the communion time. Actually, the common denominator for me is one word, and that word is hypocrisy. It's being disingenuous, being insincere, not the real deal, not the genuine article. And so what happens is when we portray ourselves as a Christian and yet these other things are happening or views or attitudes or actions or inaction, somebody says that doesn't add up, that doesn't make sense, and I'm not going to be part of that because that's not real. That's not genuine. And at the root of all or at least almost all of these things on the list we had there is this issue of hypocrisy. Are we the real deal? Hypocrisy just doesn't sit well with people, and it shouldn't. We don't like it in other people. It's so much harder to see it when it's us. But we don't like it, and they don't like it either. So I began researching this topic of hypocrisy, and I was amazed at the number of pages and pages on the Internet of people saying something about hypocrisy. You just should do that. It's kind of fun. Many people are weighing in. Many people are expressing their opinions about hypocrisy. So I'm going to share a few of these quotes with you. This morning, first a definition a hypocrite is someone who conveniently forgets their faults to point out someone else's. Uh, that happens a lot. Another person said, Sometimes the nicest people you meet are covered in tattoos. Sometimes the most judgmental people you meet go to church on Sundays. You've probably witnessed that yourself. Another person said, I'd rather spend time with a rough around the edges sinner than a well polished hypocrite. Who'd you rather be with? Brendan Manning, some of you know, uh, is a good Christian writer and leader. Um, and he said a lot of interesting things. But he said this, the greatest single cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That's why there's so many that don't believe in God. That is why an unbelieving world simply finds this unbelievable <laughs> I can't believe this. Look at look at what it's done. Look what it produces. Some people try to influence people outside the church looking in and they try to remind them, you know, don't look at the hypocrites. There's some good here. Don't worry about that. Don't give up on Jesus because there's some hypocritical church-going people. And if someone said this, not going to church because of the hypocrites is like not going to the gym because of out-of-shape people. <laughs> Another person said something like that, you know, where, where do sick people go? They go to the hospital. So you're going to avoid a hospital because sick people are there? You know, it's kind of a crazy thing. The church is a place of healing. It's a church where, uh, where people can get things right. And so you're going to get people that are wrong in the church trying to get things right. Another advice that someone else offered was this. Jesus never said, follow my people. He said, follow me. Don't let the hypocrisy in churches keep you from following Jesus, because that's the key. We're going to talk some more about that later. Others try to address the hypocrites in the church themselves. I like this quote from Billy Sunday. Uh, Some of you know Billy Sunday. He was a preacher about 100 years ago, and a very, very powerful man of God, and, and spoke a lot of interesting things. But he said this. He said, hypocrites in the church, yes, and in the lodge, and at home, Don't hunt through the church for a hypocrite. Go home and look in the mirror. (laughs) Go home and look in the mirror. Hypocrites, yes. But see that you make the number one less than there used to be. So why are there so many quotes and and, uh, comments out there about hypocrisy? Because the church of Jesus Christ has a problem. Let's be honest about that this morning. We have a problem. The problem of hypocrisy and so much more. People outside the church may all too easily reject Jesus because of the hypocrisy of Jesus' followers. They don't get to see Jesus. They see us. And we've named ourselves, we've proclaimed, we've said in some way or form, we are a follower of Jesus. And so they measure Jesus on what they see in our life. And that's a problem. Even people inside the church get hurt by other church-going people, by other Christians. And sometimes they too easily question the value of that fellowship, you know, and they bail on the church because somebody at the church hurt them, and so this resentment drives them out, and they never receive healing for that. They never get that restored, that relationship, and they just don't care. Yeah, I've ran into people that said, you know, I'd be much better off. I believe in God, but I'd be much better off out on the lake somewhere. I'd be much better off walking through the mountains. I'd be better off just sitting at home, and I don't have to deal with the people problem of the church. Why do people observe the Christians around them and wonder why they live the, the, the way they do? These Christians say that they follow Christ, but there's little difference in their lives than the rest of the world. It doesn't add up. It doesn't measure up. If Jesus is in your life and he's changing your life, why do you look the same way this year as you did five years ago? Why do you act the same way that you did five years ago? Why is there no difference in your attitude? Why is there no difference in your priorities and how you live your life and, and you know how your family is shaping up and, and how you go to work and how you handle things in your community? And that's a good question. Maybe it's a question we need to ask ourselves. Maybe like Billy Sunday said, we need to look in the mirror and say, why is my life the same that it was before I came to Christ? At the root of so many of the issues people have with the church is hypocrisy. Because as a group, not you individually, maybe not me individually, but as a group, we are not living the way we're supposed to live. We are not loving the way we're supposed to love. And as a group, in one way or another, to one degree or another, we are just pretending to be something that we are not, at least part of the time. I got thinking about Jesus' parable, the parable of the weeds. You know, we have the parable of the sower. He goes out and the sower is sowing seeds and he gets different results at different places and it produces either no fruit or abundant fruit and everything in between. But right after that, in Matthew 13, he tells another parable. We're not going to read it, but I want to just kind of go through it in our mind. It's the parable of the sower. He goes out and he's sowing his seed in the, in the field. And then he's waiting for a, a harvest to come out of that. But his workers notice that weeds are coming up in the field alongside the good plants. And so they ask him about it. What about this? He says, well, I the enemy must have done that. He must have gone in behind me and sowed these other things. Well, should we go in there and just rip out all the weeds? Because then you'll have a pure field. Now you have a field like it's supposed to be and only good things will be produced. And he'll say no, because if you go into the field, you'll probably trample on the others. You'll ruin the good ones while you're taking out the bad. Just let it all grow together, and at the end, at the harvest, we'll sort out the weeds, we'll throw them into the fire, we'll take the good, and that will be our produce. That'll be the harvest that we'll celebrate together. Do you see a picture of God's church in that? That for some reason, God has allowed weeds to be part of the mix. For weeds to be there with the good things that are going on, and we're not to necessarily worry a bunch about that or try to drive them out or pull them out because a lot of damage happens when we do that. There are things like the Inquisition, you know, or or things like where people get it in their mind, they're so much better than everyone else, they've got it all together. So we'll figure out who else in the church needs to be corrected and removed and excommunicated and even punished worse than that some places. And Jesus is saying, don't have to go to all that. Let's make this an individual thing. I want you to think individually today. What is my life looking like? I'm not trying to criticize everyone else. I'm not trying to judge anyone. I'm not trying to be you know, on the jury and, or the, the judgment bench for them. But what about me? Is there any hypocrisy in me and in you? We have a mandate, and that is for each of us to get our hearts right with God. We must check our own lives in humility and honesty. Are we truly devoted followers of Christ? Are we real? Am I a truly devoted follower of Christ? Am I real? Am I real not only when I'm standing up here in front of everybody else and I know I've got to make it right for you and and some reputation is involved here, and am I just as real when nobody else is in the room with me? Am I just as real when I'm alone in my car driving somewhere? Or, or maybe when I'm sitting quietly at my home? Am I just as real when my family maybe has a, a blow up in it? Or or when, when I get into a tense situation and, and you know my anger flares, my temper and, and you know, am I just as real as being a follower of Christ in all of those situations at all those times? If not, then I need to find the places in my life where that happens and I need to Dig them out of that life. You know, for years I had trouble growing grass in the front part of our yard. Some of you have heard this, some have not. But you know, in, in a lot of places in town here, we have sidewalks, and our house has sidewalks. Between the sidewalk and the street is a strip of grass about that wide, it goes the, from one side to the other. And for some reason, I couldn't get any grass to grow there. And it's like I could do anything in the rest of the yard; be fine. You know, you fertilize it, you water it, you. You check it all out, pull out the weeds and whatever, and it it grows nice. But for some reason, no matter what I do, I would buy sod and throw it down on there and keep it watered for three or four weeks at a time, and still nothing would happen. It would just die. And so I start thinking, there's something in the soil that's wrong. And so I started digging in this one place, especially where I could get no grass at all, about a 10- or 12-foot section of of this yard. And I started digging, I started finding trash, trash from the construction back in 1979 when they built our house, and they found a nice little place to dump all this stuff. There were pieces of drywall that had been in there for 30 years, you know, and there were bags, and and there was, you know, nails and different things in there, and I thought, okay, I got all this stuff out of there, it's probably going to be okay now, Went another period of time, still couldn't grow anything, but I got to dig deeper, so I started digging deeper. I found an eight-foot piece of steel. It was the curbing, it was the form they used to form that curb when they built it. And somebody buried the whole thing. And somehow it was not only keeping things from growing, but it had poisoned, I think, the soil. I'm still having trouble in that spot. I think I'm going to have to dig the whole area out and start over with a new soil or there's not going to be no growing. And sometimes in our lives, there are things that are buried beneath the surface. We don't see them. We try as hard as we can to get some growth in that area. And nothing can happen until we start figuring out what's beneath the surface. So can we dig in a little bit today? Are you willing to go back into your heart and acknowledge between you and God, everybody else has to be involved, but acknowledge some places of hypocrisy? Because when you get the trash out, growth can happen. We have a great opportunity We have a culture that is much more against the church maybe than ever before. We have people questioning things more than before. We have more polarization than ever before. We see it. We see a country that is is hurting. People at odds with each other like I've never seen in my lifetime. But there is also in this a great opportunity. A great opportunity to bear witness to Christ in a world that desperately needs him. If you haven't ever seen how desperately people need Jesus, can't you see it now? A Lifeway research study a few years ago discovered that America's unchurched people are willing to hear what people have to say about Christianity, but a majority also see the church as a place full of hypocrites. So the numbers are kind of mixed when you look at the study. Seventy-two percent think that the church is full of hypocrites, but 78 percent are still willing to listen to someone who wants to share what they believe about Christ. Interesting. Seventy-nine percent of unchurched Christians think Christianity is today is more about organized religion than about loving God or people. Eighty-six percent believe a person can have a relationship, a good relationship with God, and never go to church. Want to separate that? You know, I believe in God, but I've got issues with this church. There it is, right there. Eighty-six percent, forty-four percent say that Christians get on their nerves, and yet eighty-nine percent have at least one close Christian friend. There is one that isn't on their nerves. And they're close to him or her because they're genuine, I guess. They care. And while turned off by church, 78 are willing to listen to someone who wants to talk about their Christian beliefs. Among adults who are 18 to 29, the number is even higher, 89%. Would you talk to me? Real, honest, spiritual conversation. I'm willing to do that. I want that. To happen, they're saying. They would enjoy an honest conversation about reliefs, uh, religious and spiritual beliefs, even if they disagree. That's okay. But talk to me about things that matter, is what they're saying. And if we can fix this problem of hypocrisy that puts people off, that distances them from us, and they can find that we are real and genuine we have a great opportunity to bear witness to Christ in a world that desperately needs him. Jesus established his church to be so much more than the church is, didn't he? He wants so much more for the church. So when we get self-centered, we get petty, and we get upset with each other, and we start living a disingenuous lifestyle, then the church is not what Jesus created her to be. We see a picture of the church in Romans 12. Romans 12, Paul lays out a whole bunch of things here about the church. I can't go into all of them, but we'll highlight a few. Read along with me. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I'll go on. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. but Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And then down verse 21, the last verse of chapter 12. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 9-21, which didn't get up the whole thing on the screen, has these points I want you to look at. Love must be sincere. Insincere love doesn't mean anything to somebody. But if you're there for them and you mean what you say and you follow through with the commitment you've made and you're willing to pay the price, then that love means something. is not in that kind of love. Be devoted to one another in love. Same thing. Is there devotion? Is there a willingness? Is there uh, go the extra mile? Serve them in love. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. You know, a lot of Christians only associate with people that are like them. Not willing to go into the hard part of town to go to. Not willing to deal with the people that everyone else rejects or avoids or ignores. That whole thing of apathy is a great big part of hypocrisy. To say that you love people, to hear what uh, Tracy said earlier that people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another and then you refuse to love someone, it's a disconnect. You can't be a Christian and, and say you love people and yet people see obviously you don't. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. This is a tough one because it's hard to always do what is right. But in the eyes of everyone around you is everything they know about you is that you've tried to be honest, you've tried to be fair, you've tried to do good, you've tried to do what is right, what is just. Doesn't mean you've been perfect. But that is your desire, and they can see that. They can see that's how you live. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, there's some things about the gospel that are offensive, right? There's some things you're just going to offend somebody. You can't avoid it and still preach the gospel. Because when you have to speak out against sin, and you have to say this is God's will about this, this is God's verdict, this is God's... Judgment of all of us. We all stand guilty before God. And you say that, then guilt falls on them too. And that's offensive to some people. But there's truth. So we can't avoid that. But we don't want to necessarily hurt people by us having a a judgmental attitude along with that. A critical attitude that says, Well, you're standing condemned, but I'm okay. It got you, but I i was missed. You know, God, God didn't have anything against me. And somehow we make ourselves uh, seem superior to that other person every time the harsh message comes, and it needs to come from a sinner who is saved by grace. Not from a judge who sits on a bench denouncing everyone else from that bench. It's not that the church should always be easygoing. It should be likable. It's not that the church should be soft on sin and have no standards. It's not that we should just let everyone believe whatever they want to believe. The problem often is our attitude. How do we communicate the gospel? The problem occurs when we pretend to be something that we're not. So let me give you three quick steps. Maybe you got a place to take a note and think about something. Because this is an individual thing. The church isn't going to call you in and examine you. We're not going to bring you before the Board of Elders and Deacons and evaluate your life, decide, are you a hypocrite or not? This is your evaluation. This is for you to come before God and say, what can I do to root out any hypocrisy that may be in my life? What can I do to make sure that if somebody has a problem, an issue with the church, it's not going to be with me because they're going to see in me a sincere follower of Christ? Number one, be honest and true in everything. With everyone, be real. Uh, don't be two-faced. Don't be hypocritical. Take off the mask. And sometimes we become experts at wearing this mask, you know. And you know, when we get out in public, we've got an image, we've got a reputation, we have something that we're projecting to other people, but it's not the real us behind that mask. So take off the mask. Stop pretending. Admit your faults. Okay. Apologize when you make a mistake. And when you hurt somebody, ask for their forgiveness. How many people do you think the rest of us have hurt? Yeah, You're going to get hurt by somebody in church. You're going to get hurt by the pastor. You're going to get hurt by an elder. You're going to be hurt by somebody that's in your small group or somebody that's your teacher of your class or or somebody that you thought was there for you and now they've hurt you. It's because none of us is perfect. And all of us are going to make these mistakes, even unintentionally or because at that moment we were weak and we were vulnerable and and we were troubled and and we just we just did the wrong thing. We broke the promise. We said something we shouldn't have said. So be honest and true in everything and everyone. Chuck Swindoll was writing to parents. Parents, let me speak to you for a moment. You still have children in the household, still children that you're influencing. And he said, if you want your children to grow up wrong, be a hypocrite. He says it this way, kind of tongue-in-cheek. He says, you want to mess up the minds of your children? Here's how, guaranteed. Rear them in a legalistic, tight context of external religion, where performance is more important than reality. Fake your faith. Sneak around and pretend your spirituality. Train your children to do the same. Embrace a long list of do's and don'ts publicly, but hypocritically practice them privately. Yet never own up to the fact that it's hypocrisy. Act one way, but live another. And you can count on it. Emotional and spiritual damage will occur. Now that's obviously saying the opposite of what he wants you to get. But if we want our children to grow up with a genuine faith, guess what? Our faith has to be genuine. If we expect our child to capture a faith and live for God in a way that, that is desirable and, and exemplary and, and what we see in the Bible of people that follow Christ and do whatever they can for Christ, then we have to live that way. You don't just speak this to your child. You don't just demand it of your child. And when you take it from the context of parent to child, now take it to your co-worker. Or to your family member that you're maybe your spouse, maybe uh, your parent, maybe your brother or sister. Now maybe it's the neighbor, maybe it's the student next to you at the desk in a certain class at school. If you project it over to that, if you want them to know Jesus, then you have to live the way Jesus followers are supposed to live. You have to be honest and true in everything and every time, everyone. Secondly, forgive and love just as God forgave and loved you. Here's where the attitude changes. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. How do you be kind and compassionate to everyone? Forgiving them. You remember what Jesus did for you. You remember how he forgave you when you didn't deserve it. I've never understood how people think we can be so critical and judgmental of other people for the wrong things they've done when we have been given of so much forgiven of so much more. You know it doesn't it doesn't add up. There's a disconnect when you say you know you need to forgive, but you're unwilling to forgive. And remember the parable of Jesus with the two dead two debtors, and one's forgiven like a million dollars by his master, and he's you no know, way he can pay it. He says, okay, I'm just going to clear the books. You don't owe that to me. And he walks out of that room with his master, and he finds a fellow slave who owes him a thousand dollars, and he demands a thousand dollars in payment immediately. Otherwise, we're going to throw you into debtor's prison, and he's totally unforgiving right after he's been forgiven. It doesn't make sense. And for us to go around as forgiven sinners, as sinners saved by grace, and now we're critical, now we're condemning, now we're judgmental, now we won't give a person the time of day, is a total disconnect from the grace that we have been given. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So under this category of forgiving, I want to encourage you in the body of Christ to forgive others in the church maybe that have hurt you. And hopefully you can be forgiven where you've hurt them. Jesus said that when we have an offense, we have a problem with a brother or sister in Christ, there's a very simple way to handle this, but people refuse to do it. It's found in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. It says if your brother or sister sins and you go and point that out, you point out the fault. You point out the problem just between the two of you. This is where we fail to do that. We don't go to them. We go to everybody else and we complain and we, we uh, grouch about it and we, we tell everybody what they did to us. And Jesus said, you don't have a right to do that. If you love them, you go to them and you work it out. You confront them. You say, this is a problem. I don't want our relationship to be broken like this, so let's fix this. Then he says, if they still hold on to the offense, they won't budge, then you go back, and and you take one or two others along, and you try again. And hopefully with just another person or two that cares about them, change will happen. And the relationship uh, that was broken can be fixed. And if they still refuse, then you have to take it to the church and maybe even treat them as a pagan or a tax collector, as a somebody that you don't have anything to do with until repentance can come. This is, this is where God is simply saying, if there's brokenness in the body of Christ, deal with it. Love your brother or sister in Christ enough to do whatever needs to be done. Get things right. Forgive and love others just as God forgave and loved you. And then thirdly, this is where we could really make a big difference, is to point people to Jesus, not to the church. You're never going to be perfect, but he is. And we run into a problem with hypocrisy when we're going around preaching the church. We're trying to sell the church, trying to promote the church. But our real job is is to promote Jesus. Our real job is to tell other people about Jesus. To show people what Jesus is like. To tell them who Jesus is. And so in that, you can stop claiming somehow that you've got it all together because you don't. I don't. But Jesus does. And we let, bit by bit, people see the changes that God is making in us. We own up to our mistakes, but they see some growth. They see some development. They see some maturity come along. They see an attitude that they didn't see in us before. It's a good one. And they see a level of love that they didn't see before. And they see a change of lifestyle. And they see better choices. And they see a person that is giving and, and kind and compassionate and generous. Whereas before we were none of those things. And we show Jesus as we grow. We point people to Jesus, not to the church. I want to encourage you this morning that we make New Hope Christian Church about Jesus, not about us. If our idea is that we're going to build a nice church or we're going to build a nice body of believers here and we're going to get a good reputation and and we're going to be known for all of that, we're going at it the wrong way. Because our business is to make Jesus look good. Our business is to talk about Jesus because... We put ourselves up on the stage, it looks pretty bad. And people have issues with that. But you put Jesus up on that pedestal, up on that stage, you put Jesus before them, they will be drawn to him. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And So when we lift him up, it's not hypocrisy anymore. <laughs> You're putting perfection before them. May they someday say, I believe in God. And it's because somebody showed me who Jesus is. I want to take a moment, uh, as we have our song today, which is a simply a song, Keep Making Me, uh, for us to have prayer. Maybe there's something going on in your life. Maybe it's a, an area that you you just thought, man, I, I've been a hypocrite. You know, I, I just haven't been true. I haven't been genuine about this. I've been wearing a mask. Well, however you want to picture that. And you need just somebody to pray with you. You know, not necessarily admit exactly what it is, but just say, "Would you pray for me?" And so, as we're singing this song today, we're going to invite you to come forward and, and uh, have prayer with the guys that will be we gathered up here, and they can be off to the side, either side here. But let's pray together, and then we'll have our song. Uh, God, I I, uh, I know that in my life there are times when I catch myself pretending. I catch myself putting on a mask so that I look good for someone else. So that they're attracted to the way I follow Jesus rather than Jesus himself. Or maybe I just pretend because I don't want them to see what's behind the mask. Probably most of the people that are here today, Father, can admit the same. We know that you're still working on us. We know that we don't have it all together. And actually there's a great amount of freedom when we can admit that, when we can confess that. And so we want to confess to you today our hypocrisy, our pretenses, and we want to get things right. We want to be sincere and genuine in following Christ. And I pray today, as we share in this song, that we will also share in confessing and prayer, uh, that we will get our brothers and sisters who are going through the same things to pray for us and ask for us to be healed, to be made whole in Christ. May we share Jesus and not just our church or not ourselves, but lift up Jesus in our lives, in our communities. We ask for your blessing upon this very uh, real time of prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. But I ask the band to uh, lead us in this.